0: Hey everybody, this is Sean. And this is Kevin. And welcome to another episode of Shot by Shot. We have somebody exceptional as our guest today. All of our guests are exceptional, but this is like exceptional squared. And I don't even want to mention his name. I'll leave it to you. Kevin, nope. who is joining us today?
1: The amazing Frank Quitely.
0: Yeah, so I think all of us listening to this podcast grew up reading comics. I grew up reading Frank Quietly's comics twice, whether it was New X-Men, whether it was The Authority with Mark Millar and his many other collaborations with Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly is an artist who can do no wrong.
1: Yeah, he's one of the best in the business. He, he picks his projects and kills it every single time. Has he ever worked on anything that you didn't love? No, no, but
0: but I am curious, Kevin. So. What were you expecting as far as Frank's personality when he came on the show?
1: Well, you know, I, I I've met a few of the guys you know, like Grant Morrison once or twice back before he was you know huge, and so you kind of have this. Well, they're friends, so he kind of might be in that space. So you feel like he was going to be a little crazy, uh, but he was just totally he's you know super nice down to yeah. He, guys. he was
0: so articulate and friendly. In my head. When I look at his work, I'm like, you are too good expressing yourself on the page that I wouldn't expect him to be able to express himself verbally as well. But it was like a night out at the pub with this guy. I could have talked to Frank for hours. I think we did. (laughs) Alcohol was involved. No, I love this podcast because... You know, usually Brian is able to uh, guide a conversation through incredibly technical, technical issues of drawing and art, whereas uh, Frank was right there with him the entire time. He could just volunteer that information and give TED talks on it. Yeah, I don't even know. Did we actually talk? Brian is is good at navigating the conversation most of the time. Like, I feel a lot like I am personally the safety net. In this case, we had uh, we had two Sears two guides through this podcast uh, frank quietly and brian Stelfries. brian met his podcast equivalent
1: yeah yeah this this was sort of like the green lantern green arrow you know <laughs> team ups back in the, the
0: day <laughs> um and it goes without saying that frank also provided a variant cover for brian's kickstarter thomas river and it is wonderful if you have not seen it this is an original piece of Frank Quietly art. Head on over to the Thomas River Kickstarter to check it out.
1: Yeah, that was that was really cool, and how how this podcast actually came together because I think we had him on our dream list, and uh, we're currently running a, a Kickstarter for Brian's uh, new comic book series. And so when we were kind of going through the list of maybe getting a couple of variant covers, you know, I think Doug Wagner and I threw out Frank Quietly. Just as like you know, there's no chance. But if we're gonna dream, and he's like, Ryan's like, oh yeah, I know, I know him. He's he's great. We hung out at, at Glasgow at the convention a couple of years ago. He took me all over, you know, did the sightseeing stuff. And I'll, I'll shoot him an email, and like the next day, we have a Frank Quietly cover. And so that we learn in the podcast, he's like, I never do. F- variant covers for anyone uh but i would do one for brian it was awesome so that's really cool really cool piece even just to go check it out go go look at the at the site and see it it's a it's a cool cover and i didn't think about it but yeah he does superman and batman and the x-men and all that stuff uh, you don't see him do a lot of variant covers so this was kind of a nice oh, it's treat
0: so great and this podcast is a treat we'll stop talking please enjoy shot by shot with frank quietly everybody welcome to another episode of shot by shot and we are here today with what i would absolutely describe as a legend in the comic book industry mr frank quietly how are you doing today
2: very good thanks very good thank you sean
0: yeah absolutely so we're talking today about many things but you just did a variant cover for thomas river the new kickstarter from brian correct Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is absolutely
2: lovely. Can you talk a little bit about your process there? Sure. Um, With the exception of Mark Millar and Grant Morrison, both of whom are personal friends, I almost never do variant covers for other people anymore. Um, Mostly because they just kind of interfere with deadlines, but um, (laughs) I am a... A really big fan of Brian and I was pretty chuffed to be to be asked to do a baby <laughs> cover so um I was I was more than happy to to jump on board not surprisingly I loved the the designs that I saw I loved the the uh, the first issue which I've seen and it was just it was just um it's it's even it's really nice for me to see how the designs changed subtly from the earliest oh, yeah. Yeah. iterations to the the, the, the finished pages um, because we all go through the same kind of process and I think I don't, th- I don't think I've met another artist who isn't really, really interested in seeing everybody else's sketchbooks everybody else's Thumbnails, everybody else's process, So it was, it was, a, it was a kick for me to to get that kind of behind the scenes look at things. Um, Oh, dude, and that's, then that's, I just... that's
3: returning the favor because uh, when I was um, in Glasgow hanging out with you, um, when we went to your studio, the first thing I thought was, man, if there's a sketchbook laying around here, <laughs> you know, I'm going <laughs> to jump on that thing. <laughs> and uh, and you, you just had like uh, just this drawer filled with like sketchbooks. So, uh, yeah. so the, the whole time we were talking, I'm just kind of like sort of, half listening to you, but just flipping through your sketchbooks. I think you really get to know uh, the mind of the artist when, when you actually see the preliminary stuff, when you, when you see sure. those little subtle changes and stuff like that. That, that That's the yeah. stuff that gets me crazy excited.
2: Similarly, when you see, when you see thumbnail scripts from other artists and you see the, the, the process of how they, how they read the script and how they translate it, um, that are very I, i've met a couple of artists who read the script and then go in and start drawing on the the boards oh. pretty much straight away but um i can think of two offhand and i'm not going to name names because <laughs> one of them actually one <laughs> this is amazing one of them actually said to me the first time i met him i met him in the oh i was at. Oh, i can't even remember what city i was in it was in america and it was the first time I had met him and he was there with his wife and the way you always do, we started talking shop straight away. And um, and he said to me, don't you hate it when you get to the bottom of the page and you've got a horizontal space left, but really a v- tall vertical panel would have worked better? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that has never happened to me before because, you know, like a thumbnail. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Actually, I don't know that maybe, maybe this maybe this guy's well known for it, but um, oh, he that, actually also that, said- That blows my mind. Another amazing thing is he said, um, he reads the script, but he doesn't read the dialogue. And I was like, wow. what? And he said, because think about it, if I read the dialogue, when the comic eventually gets sent to me printed, I can't appreciate it as though I were a fan. (laughs) And I was like, every single other comic in history that's ever been produced, you get to read it as a fan. The ones that you're drawing you have to yeah and he was like no no because i i want to i want to read it as though it's i'm reading it for the first time and i was like but you need to read the dialogue to get the the facial expression and body language and he was like no 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 this is my method that's all right okay wow i'm
3: i'm i'm really glad surgeons don't take that attitude
2: (laughs) Absolutely, (laughs)
3: that's really you know and um and that 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 kind of um you know, the the coolest thing is um is that you're like completely nuts about process, you know, about like just really do, doing a deep dive in, in into process and uh and and I think you you match or exceed me in your like obsession with storytelling,
1: mm-hmm.
3: which is like just unbelievable, because anytime I hang out with an artist, I I will, I don't care what's happening in their family. I don't care what's, you know, what illnesses they have. I want to talk shop. (laughs) And, uh, and it was, uh, it was really cool. Kind of um, uh, touring uh, Glasgow, and just really kind of getting that storytelling, getting, you know, getting to talk about panel to panel, getting to talk about Mm -hmm. images, getting to talk about uh, all the things that we do with, uh, with time. And, uh, and what's, what's strange is the first time I was familiar with your work, but not familiar with who you were. Um, like you always see kind of artist styles and, and then you sometimes can kind of go, okay, I recognize that person, but there isn't a name attached to it. And, uh, and when you did the authority, that's when I kind of went, oh, okay, that's that guy's name. Now I know his, his work. Um that's when I was familiar with your stuff. And and what's weird is I, I would I would kind of describe your stuff as as a well-described punch in the face. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where, where it's like there's a there's a brutalist quality to it, but the storytelling completely belies that. You know, the storytelling is really delicate and, and sensitive. But the look of the characters, you know, just really seem like, like this, you know, these big English brutes. <laughs> you know, but uh, but uh, but like, uh, how did you, how did you arrive uh, at um, at that kind of sensitivity for uh, for storytelling?
2: I'm. Um, it was. <sighs> I mostly put it down to an editor that I worked with um In the '90s, called Dan Raspler. Dan. He was a D- he was a DC editor. Yeah, solid guy. Do you know he was he was oddly unpopular with lots of other people, and I don't know if it's because he was a bit of a a ball breaker as editors go. I don't know what it was, but I got on really well with Dan. I liked him a lot, and um, when I started out, um. I didn't know anything about storytelling. Um, I hadn't had any formal schooling in comics. I'd been to Glasgow School of Art and I studied um, drawing and painting and I get chucked out of there for not doing enough work. <laughs> it was a that four seemed, year course. Yeah, That get, seems to be I, the
3: common story among successful comic book artists is to get yeah. kicked out of a school.
2: <laughs> That's it, yeah. Um, I get kicked out halfway through. And I was doing all sorts of freelance freelance work. I was doing posters for nightclubs and uh, commissioned portraits and caricatures, you name it. I started working in comics and from when I started working, my idea of storytelling was to put in what was needed and to try and make it as clear as possible. Mm. But there was no real... There was no real knowledge of... How comics worked? Yeah, just the uh, the
3: beat beat to beat storytelling.
2: Yeah, I just I was very very unsophisticated, and um, and Alan Grant um, wrote me a a Lobo story, and uh, and Dan Raspler was the editor. (laughs) This (laughs) the story the story was. The story never came out it was it was
3: it It never came out
2: (laughs) no it was it was just a one shot it was it was just a it was a 24 page single issue one shot and um it was about alan actually said to me what what kind of story do you want and i had been drawing a strip for the judge dread magazine and it was a kind of futuristic Japanese sci-fi thing and it was all laser wow. blades and hover bikes and stuff and I said, "Can you give me something that doesn't have any weapons in it could, could it just be hand to hand combat <laughs> and he he wrote this story about um about the publisher of a, a men's magazine you know, like a like a playboy style magazine uh who. Had been captured by hominists, like kind of <laughs> male feminists. Oh, wow! And they, they, it was based on there was some American guy back in the nineties called Iron John, and he was he was it was a whole movement. He was urging men to reclaim their masculinity, and they would go into the they would go into the forest and hug trees and hang out together and Alan wrote this story about a guy called Iron Dick and uh, and he was a hominist and he was really against like girly magazines and the publisher that got kidnapped, they needed his hand to open the vault. It was palm recognition to get the printing plates out for the next issue and Lobo had no weapons. So it was all hand to hand combat and the story was called the hand to hand job. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, the way I hear, I, I, I see
3: it, so many reasons why this wasn't published.
2: Well, it wasn't even a mature readers' book, with <laughs> this particular issue. And uh, the, the long story short, um, Paul Levitz didn't like it. I think he also—I'm not sure—but I think he also didn't like Alan Grant. But uh, which probably didn't help. But um, it never—it never went ahead, and it's probably a good thing because. What happened was I drew, I blue-lined the 24 pages and I FedExed the pages off to Dan. And this was my first kind of DC Universe work. I had done some Vertigo books and some Paradox or Piranha. I think it was Paradox books. But uh, this was my first kind of mainstream stuff. And I I spent ages drawing the pages and I, it was the best work I had done. Oh, wow. And <laughs> wow. To, 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 at that point, at, at that point, it was, I, it was the thing I was most proud of at that point, early career. And I was convinced Dan was going to phone me up the day it arrived and tell me that he loved it. And think it was eight days went by and I didn't hear from him. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign at all. <clears throat> and he phoned, eventually he phoned up and his opening line was, dude, I don't know how to tell you this. Ooh. <laughs> and my heart just sank. And he was like, your drawings are really good, but your storytelling just sucks. And he talked me through he talked me through some of the stuff, but he said, I've 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 written it all down for you and I've FedExed it to you. Oh, it, should wow. be there. it should be there in a day or two. And I want you to read through my notes and really think about what I'm saying to you. And he explained some stuff on the phone about there was a two and a half page fight scene, and he was like, You've choreographed that like a boxing match. You know, there's a right hook, so he's stepping in with the left foot. Then there's a, a left uppercut and he's stepping in with the right foot. And he said, but every single shot is a medium shot. The camera is absolutely static. It's like oh, watching wow. the, it's, it's like watching the boxing from a like a seat in the arena. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, once you've had once you've started with an establishing shot and the first punch is thrown. The second punch, you can go in really close and just show the knuckles and a tooth coming out. You don't need to have two full figures for two and a half pages.
3: Oh man, it, that's, I'd literally that's really done it with a
2: book. Yeah. And he was like, this is Lobo, more than any other book that we're publishing. It's meant to be anarchic. You've seen what Keith Giffen and Simon Bisley are doing. Like, and he sent me the notes and it was pages and pages of Think about this. Think about that. This guy gets out of his seat and walks over to the door. Let's see the door when he's getting up out of his seat. You know, like, oh, man, that's really just
3: just just the one on one of storytelling.
2: I went through all these pages of constructive criticism, hoping to find things that I could disagree with. Hoping to find, he's <laughs> splitting or nitpicking, and there, every single thing that he brought up, I was like, "God, he's right!" Oh, he's right again. And <laughs> it's like, and from that right, moment I do on, suck. <laughs> from that moment on, the the storytelling became more important to me than the quality of the drawing, um, and it absolutely changed the way I did things. So um, that's that that's really where it came from. Oh, wow. And wow. Just to, just to take that to its, its, its worst conclusion. And it was the best thing, it was the best advice I ever got. But um, the next best piece of advice I ever got was both from Grant Morrison and from Mark Miller. Um, and what had happened was over the years, I became my interest and fascination in storytelling Got to the stage where it had actually become an obsession. It mm. become like mm. a. I was doing instead of doing one or two thumbnails for each panel in the, on the page, I was doing four, five, six, maybe sometimes as many as ten for Hi, each yeah. panel. Yeah. And then I was looking at how it would work out, how the how the visual narrative would work, depending on which thumbnails I chose. Oh and, my god! And I was talking myself through it as if I was giving as if I was giving a class, and I've kind of always been able to do a maximum of two pages a week, and it, I was really, really struggling to do one page a week. Oh, and man. when it got to its worst, I was—I had just started a Jupiter's Legacy with Mark, and I had just started Pax Americana. Mm -hmm. with Grant at the same time and because I was doing two projects I I was basically doing one page for each of them every two weeks instead of two pages a week oh my god and both of them were like what's the problem and Grant I explained it to Grant and he said how often do you go back to either the first or the second thumbnail that you drew and I said oh nine times out of ten you've been doing this for 30 years. (laughs) Trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Yeah. And Mark's advice was, I explained the same thing to him. And he said, would you see a hypnotherapist? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, yeah, sure. I wouldn't mind. And he said, one of our neighbors is a retired hypnotherapist he's he's retired from his his public practice but he still takes on like uh, individual cases and he said and he's helped one of my friends stop drinking and he's helped another friend stop smoking so would, <laughs> I was gonna, would you I was go and speak say to he's
3: tra- treating this like a smoking
2: addiction or something <laughs> yeah. yeah and i went to see this guy um ronald his name was <laughs> <and> a retired <laughs> gentleman and um and I had three sessions with him and I was cured. Wow, wow.
1: Yeah.
0: What did he
2: tell <laughs> so, you?
1: I need to get Ronald's information and see if I can <laughs> get him to fly on over to the States because <laughs> I've got some guys to introduce him to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. how, how did Ronald work with you to help you expedite your process?
2: He did exactly what Mark and Grant both did. He said, tell me honestly and in detail what the problem is. So I told them what I was doing. I told them that I was doing too many thumbnails for each panel, that I was running through all these different combinations of thumbnails for all these different styles of storytelling and different editing. And, um, and then I was going back to the first or second thumbnail for each panel and that i knew i should trust my instincts but i couldn't help exploring all the possibilities wow wow and um and he basically he did that thing i've, n- I've never been hypnotized before and it, it's it feels very very normal you know i think if he told me to eat an onion and you know and and Think it tasted like an apple, or told me to take my underpants off. I, I think I would have been awake <laughs> enough to, to not do it. I'm got, I'm saying that, and I'll see the photographs online. After this. Um, but um, so it, it wasn't. It was like the very mildest trance. It was like the very mild. It's just like when it's like when you when you meditate and you just feel very very relaxed and centered, and you sit you sit relaxed with your legs and hands uncrossed and you concentrate your breathing and you keep your eyes shut and he talks you through the fact that you could open your eyes if you wanted but they feel they feel heavier than usual and you know like you won't be sleepy and you will hear his voice and all that and he just talks you into this calm state and then he starts telling you what it is you're doing which is just what I told him and why it is from now on you're going to actually you're going to trust your instincts and you're going to you're going to think about the fact that, you know, like, peers that you respect, you know, like, recognise that you're good at what you do, and you should respect that too, and you know that you always choose the first or second thumbnail that you do, and you should stop there and not keep following all these diminishing returns. And he just, he told me everything that I told him that I already knew, but he just put me into a very light trance and told me what I told him, and I started doing it. It was like it's, and the thing is, Mark and Grant both gave me the same advice, and I, and I already knew it was right, and I couldn't do it, and it was almost. I don't know if it was just because he was a hypnotist, or just because he was an older gentleman that seemed to know what he was talking about. But <laughs> it was almost. It was almost like I got permission to, yeah, yeah, to change, you know, yeah. That's Any, the, um... the,
3: yeah, that, that guy can easily become like the hypnotist to comic book artists you know, sort of all over the world because uh, I think we, we all kind of like, you know, suffer from that, um, you know, question every line, you know, sort of that you, that you put down. Um, and, and I think some of it is the standard that we achieve actually doesn't exist. You know, but we're still, you know, we're we're th- we're thinking that um, that we're drawing comic books for ourselves. <laughs> you know, who who are standing in the studio watching all of our mistakes and and questioning everything that we uh, that we do. Um, yeah. But uh, but at the risk of of sending you back into a uh, obsession with uh, you know sort of questioning what you're doing, um, for me. Um, the place where I actually fell in love with your stuff was surprisingly, we three. And I saw the first issue of it. You know, a bunch of us from Gaijin went to the comic book shop and 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 I saw the first issue, just kind of like looked on it and went, What? <laughs> you know, it's like you know, so this- this seems like the stupidest idea for a comic book ever. And, uh, and I, didn't even, I didn't even buy it. I just kind of like blew it off. And, uh, and one of the other guys uh, picked it up. And when we got back to the studio, I was just like, let me see that thing. And I started flipping through the pages and started seeing what you were doing with A, storytelling, B, perception. And it completely blew my mind. I mean every every page you were just doing something to where I I'm I'm reading this thing and I'm like yeah this is how a cat would see the world <laughs> <laughs> so so it was like it was it was really kind of cool because you just broke every rule that I can imagine and then you invented some to break <laughs> which was just like really really awesome to um go through a book and, you know, it, it's, it's almost like the movie um, Arrival, <laughs> you know, where, where like speaking the language makes you see the world in a different way. And, uh, and that's kind of how uh, we three felt. Where was your mind at when you were doing something like that?
2: I had the same reaction as you to the, the idea of it initially. Um, I had been doing New X-Men with Grant and I was just I was just doing issues as and when I had time. He was writing way ahead, and there was various different artists working on it. And then I left to do a short strip with Neil Gaiman for the The, the Endless, a Sandman mm-hmm. graphic novel. And um and Grant said to me, Once you're finished with Neil, I've written a bunch of creator owned mm-hmm. books at Vertigo and you can draw any one of them and I was like brilliant and you know I, I'd really been wanting to do some creator own stuff and I said what, have, what what, have you got and he said well look, I've got this thing called the Manorama and I said great what's that about and he said it's a kind of um, it's a kind of Muslim Bollywood type thing <laughs> and I was like right I said, what else have you got? And he, said, oh. and he said, I've got this thing called Sea Guy. And I said, right, and what's what's that about? And he went, it's kind of guy that lives in the sea. <laughs> it's, it's right was there liking, in the title. Right? I think you need to work on your pictures. And, um, <laughs> and he said, but the one I really want you to draw is called We Three. And I said, right, what's that about? And he said, it's it's about a cat and a dog and a rabbit and they wear suits of armour. And I burst out laughing and said, no, really, what's that about? And he was like, no, it's about a cat and a dog and a rabbit. And they, you know, they wear suits of armour. And I thought, this sounds terrible. And I, and I was just politely nodding and saying, tell me more. And as he started talking about it, I started thinking, that it had potential. And when he started talking about how he also wanted it, he didn't just want it to be a a heartfelt linear story and linear isn't something he often does plot wise. Yeah, yeah. He wanted it to be a vehicle for experimental storytelling. And then when he sent me the first script, I was just like, yeah, I get it now and when i started trying to design armor and he didn't want me to design the armor it needed to be somewhat practical but he also wanted it to have some design elements that didn't make a lot of sense like the dog's back legs looked like the wings of some american car or something it's i mean <laughs> but it was it was mostly it was mostly the kind of experimental nature of the storytelling that that really drew me in and um and I've worked with Grant half a dozen times, and I've never had a bad experience working with him. It's always rewarding. Oh wow, wow! Um, so, I did. I did trust him, even though my initial, I, I was wary initially of the the premise. But um, the scenes with the like the the cat strobing through panels that were um, perpendicular to the the surface of the page. That kind of stuff. Uh, Grant and I just sat down together with paper and pencils. And oh, really?
3: So, um, so Grant was really involved in uh, in some of that
2: stuff. Yeah, I mean, the way I nearly always work, it's not always the same when I work this with, with Grant, but usually the way it works is he gives me full script, but it's draft dialogue, and then he tightens up the dialogue, the dialogue ah. once he sees the artwork. Awesome. Uh, because often... He feels he can pair the dialogue back a little bit if the facial expression or body language or whatever is half selling the the idea. Yeah. He yeah. can he can make dialogue slightly simpler, but um, but it's always it's always full script. We've never done Marvel script, but with We Three, um, there were a couple of pages here and there where Grant just said, you know, like it's Karen Berger was the editor. He, he would just write in the script, Karen, these two pages, uh, you know, like Vin and I are going to get together and work it out between us, but oh, trust wow. us, you know, we're doing something different. There's no point in me trying to describe it. And, um, and basically Grant had an idea that we could do things differently and he knew it was in there. You know that way when you've got a word on the tip of your tongue, but you yeah. just and you know it's there. You know you know the word. It's you just can't bring it to mind, and that's kind of the way he described what he was nearly seeing in his mind. And he just kept getting me. He drew things as well, um, but uh, he just kept getting me to draw things, and eventually we. Uh, we started getting something like what we ended up with. And then I went away and t- tried to kind of fine tune that, you know, um, and th- there's also, there's a, there's a sequence. Um, when there's a, I think it's, I think it's six pages and each page has got 18 or 21 small panels and it's yeah, like, CC yeah, <laughs> and, that was just, in the script, that was just, we have six pages of CCTV TV footage. And Grant just explained that this doctor was supposed to put the locks onto the animal so they could be put down, but she didn't. And over the six pages, she had to hit save, for the the restraint locks to go on, but she didn't. So the word save just stayed in the the screen. And we slowly zoom in on that. And and the animals have to make their way through the building and escape. And the head of the project has to walk through the building in the opposite direction, gathering more people into his posse, like the Magnificent Seven, until they go and kill the animals. And all this has to happen using CCTV footage and there should be some cleaners and some soldiers and some, you know, some other people to kind of suggest that it is a real environment. And it took me fully two weeks to work that sequence out wow. and I couldn't work it out the way I normally work it out. So what I ended up doing was drawing each of the sequences individually and cutting the panels out. and. Pasting oh, them all together, wow. and they were really small. I mean, any—I I was keeping them. I was keeping them in a, a sun-made raisins box, <laughs> and um, and every day I would come down and open up the box and lay them all out on the kitchen table and d- draw more, shuffle them about, try and work out what was missing. And uh, eventually it's like a like s- screenwriting, that's like screenwriting note cards, <laughs> you know, just kind yeah, of like yeah. moving the sequences then, around. It was, yeah, and uh, I did this for two weeks and I finally felt like I'd cracked it and I was ready to start drawing the pages and I got up one morning and I couldn't find the box and I said Ooh. to my wife, have you seen a, a raisin box? And she went, yeah, like a really old raisin box, I threw it in the bin. And uh, fortunately, it was the bin that was still in the kitchen. It hadn't been put out oh, wow. in the And I went into the bin and uh, and I fished out the raisin box and all the hundred and whatever it was cards cards were still in it. And, uh, and I said to her, Anne, do you know there's two weeks worth of work in this raisin box? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she was like that, Nobody keeps two weeks work in a reason box. And she just shook her head and walked out of the room. And I was um, like, <laughs> it's true, it's true. That's one of those, <laughs> oh, one. I'm
3: sorry, I will not understand you. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's it. That's, it's like so. Because
3: in order to understand you, I'd have to join you in your crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was like, just just go and work like other people,
3: you know. Well, the um the cool thing about it is in, in that story, um, one of the things that it it really opened my eyes about is is there's um there's a dreamlike nature to storytelling, you know, where where some of it can be like like when you experience a story, you know, in real time, there's a certain way that that story collects. But when you recall a story, it collects in a different sort of way. Um, And when someone tells you a story, you put it together in an even different sort of way. And one of the things that I thought was cool about We Three is you were exploring all of those. I mean, there are some sequences where I could look at the sequence and go, this is as if I'm trying to remember all the things that happened. And I wouldn't remember it as a series of things moving, but just like um, like I was in a car crash, and you know when I was um, you know driving to high school, and when I was in that car crash, I remember I remember it like a series of pictures. None of the pictures were moving. But it was just like, mm-hmm. I remember my cousin with this expression on his face. I remember, you know, sort of the guy in the other car going, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, just, just remembering. And, and it was like a collection of photos that I remember, none of them moving pictures. But in, in We Three, you had sequences like that, you know, and I was just like, wow, he's gone into my head and pulled that type of storytelling. You know sort of out of it uh, and and it's like and again it wasn't storytelling like a flip book which i think most comics strive for it was storytelling um the way that our mind tries to wrap itself around storytelling and that was it was just really interesting to uh, to kind of uh watch you experiment with that stuff so 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 I'm so I'm with you on that. So do do as much of that stuff as you can. You'll have a fan here. Okay. <laughs> now one so, of the uh, um, one of the other things that I wanted to to get into with you and uh, and this is again is uh, is All Star Superman and and I think one of the things that I thought was interesting is is when you were taking me around um, Glasgow. Uh, there is a, I think that area of Scotland to a certain extent, kind of has a, it has a Kansas feel to it. <laughs> you know, it has it has like um, I think with a lot of the people, it's just like these honest, hardworking uh, kind of kind of people. So it, it it doesn't feel like a a big city like New York or anything like that. It it feels like a mm-hmm. like a Midwestern um, uh, American. Uh, city, and and I thought a lot of it, it, it seems kind of strange because it's perceived as Midwestern, but it's Glasgow. The way that you illustrated, kind of like that that Superman character, you know, it it, it had that kind of national pride that um that I saw like everywhere in uh, in Glasgow. Um, do you think that that's something that you drew upon to do that?
2: Um, I. F- not not entirely intentionally. I can recognize it. I, I know what you mean. Um a lot of people have mentioned the fact that my Superman shares some similarity with a Scottish comic book character called Desperate Dan. Oh who, wow. funnily enough was a big cowboy. A big <laughs> Scottish a big Scottish cowboy. Wow. <laughs> and he wore a cowboy hat and he had he had a big barrel chest and a huge chin, and he ate cow pies and he lived with his auntie. I think it was, but um, and the cow pies had horns sticking out of them. The pie was like the size of the table. It was a, ch- a children's comic. It's called Desperate Dan, and um, the, it's been mentioned by numerous people that my Superman is similar to to that. But um, funnily enough, one of the one of the Numerous Scottish connections in All Star Superman. It's a, it's such a local joke. It's an in joke. Um, one of the one of the issues has a, a couple of Kryptonians called Bar-El and Lilo, and Bar-El is like a big, tough, brutish kind of guy. And Lilo is his sassy, hard, fake tan kind of uh, girlfriend, <laughs> and um, and they're, they're basically kind of they're basically kind of lowlifes, you know, like bullies. And um, and the idea is that obviously because they they came from Krypton as well, um, they're as strong on Earth as Superman is, but Superman is the the son of a scientist and this other guy, Barrell, is like he's like a jock. And he's like a particularly <laughs> unpleasant he's he's like a biff from Back to the Future. You know, he's that kind of guy. And um and Grant Grant named him Bar El because it sounds like a Kryptonian name. But the end joke is that um there's a prison in Glasgow that houses particularly violent criminals and it's called Berlini because (laughs) that's the area of the town where it's called Berlini prison and um but everybody calls it the bar that's his nickname (laughs) you know like so Grant was delighted that you know bar sounded like a Kryptonian name so he 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 named that that, uh, that comic book character um and it's it's I mean, literally, you you could come from a different city in Scotland and and not get the joke. It's 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 such a it's such a parochial kind of a uh, reference. <laughs>
3: I mean, that's 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 really cool. You know, you draw a comparison between um, Superman and uh, and Batman, and and I heard you make make a summation of what makes. Superman and Batman so incredibly different and uh, and and I can't even uh, kind of paraphrase it but I think it, it came down to the fact that um, that Superman is about strength and strength and, and power and, and morality and Batman was about kind of that sort of gray area and and how throughout history Superman is to a certain extent, reductive in nuance whereas batman is expanding in nuance you can do more with batman now than you could um back during the time of his invention but uh, but mm-hmm. superman to a certain extent you can do you have to do less with it and in this like little tiny spectrum you've got to somehow find your superman <laughs> and and how how, how was that uh, that process for you
2: well I've got to say, from the the start, that you you uh, you actually credited me with saying more about it than I did. <laughs> <laughs> you've 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 added some of your, your own, uh, insight to that um, slightly simpler. What I remember saying about comparing the two characters was that, and you're absolutely right with the fact that you can you can do more with Batman now than you could when he started, and perhaps less with Superman. Um, and I totally agree with you, but um, that's that's really more your insight than mine. Um, <laughs> but I'll take the credit for it. Um, <laughs> but all I really said, all, all, all that I really remember saying when I was asked to compare the two characters was that Batman as a character seems to lend himself more to different interpretations,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. Um, both visually and in the way the characters actually handled, handled story-wise. So for me, the the Adam West Batman has absolutely got its place in the same way that Frank Miller's Batman has got its place. Yeah, uh, in the same way that Killing Joke or the Arkham Asylum Batman has got its place.
3: Yeah, it, it can be rude or you know, funny.
2: They can all work, um, whereas with Superman, um, I've seen over the years. Uh, obviously, we've seen Superman in a trench coat with a ponytail. You know, <laughs> uh, we've seen we've seen Superman riddled with self-doubt. We've seen Superman angry. We've seen Superman sad, and you know, like for me, I think. Basically, Superman is, like, he's a really, really good character. I mean, he's like, his goodness is actually, like, his kind of his main thing. And as soon as you start moving away from that, it, it becomes less like Superman. And unfortunately for publishers, you know, like, if you're publishing, if you're publishing the same character for, you know, it, it'll be coming up to 100 years soon, you know. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You need to you need to ring the changes sometimes. You just have to. It, you, it was different back in the when it started because kids read Superman comics or kids read comics for a few years until they started dating or started working or whatever, yeah. and that was it. You could have the same character doing the same things year in year out, but once we got to the stage where we kept reading comics as we grew up and we started expecting more from the characters and more from the stories, you know? And you, I know guys that have been reading Green Lantern for 40 years, you know? And you, you're like, you can't keep telling the one story all the time. Yeah. I, I understand why they have to make changes. But I, it's just that Batman lends himself to changes better than Superman does.
3: Well, you can't just go back and tell the same story again it sort of creates a situation where every time you've told one story, that story's now off the table. <laughs>
2: you know? Yeah. And,
3: and you have to keep making up new stories that all include a character who's experienced the other stories that you've told, which, yeah. which basically makes the creativity pool get smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> until you get kicked off of that island.
0: Everybody, thank you so very much for listening to Shot by Shot with Mr. Frank Quietly. This is the first of two parts. Come back next week and we'll have our ending conversation with Frank.
1: Yeah, we even get into the Frank Quietly Museum.
0: Uh, what was it called? What did they call yeah, it? Yeah, an exhibit. Including the aforementioned raisin box. And if at this point you know, Frank Quietly hit panels from we three in a raisin box that his wife accidentally threw away and that was on an exhibit for frank
1: yeah stuff that you didn't know you didn't But know.
0: we all benefit from immaculately <laughs> All
1: right uh, let everybody